Look who's at the top of the AL West. The Seattle Mariners have made quite the trek to wake up in first place as of this morning, but it's a Texas Rangers collapse that's helped them along the way. Both New York baseball teams mired in last place. Which team is better off as they look forward to 2024? Plus the expected and unfortunate retirement of Nationals pitcher Steven Strasburg. That will highlight all that's happening in Major League Baseball. The Trey Lance experiment in San Francisco didn't last into its third season as the quarterback was sent to Dallas. What does this mean for the former number three pick overall as he tries to resuscitate his young career? Notre Dame starts the college football season with a route in Dublin over Navy. Giannis Antetokounmpo has one foot out the door in Milwaukee. The final Grand Slam of the year takes place as I'll preview the U.S. Open. Counting down the days until September and inching closer to 400 episodes of the podcast as well. It's all coming up, but first, this message. J Reels here just passing by to send a brief reminder to please subscribe, rate, review this podcast, the J Reels podcast, on wherever you listen to your podcast, whether it's on Apple, Google, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Luminary, CastBox, all of the major platforms that are out there, whichever one that you listen to, once again, just throw me a few stars, write a review, I would greatly appreciate it just to increase the visibility of this podcast with all the others that are out there, especially this one, which covers all sports in roughly one hour. Where else are you going to get that? So if you can go ahead and please do that, I would sincerely and gratefully appreciate it. And with that said, let's get it. The J Reels Podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels Podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December, but what really counts is let me see this in January. The Sports Rebel Without a Pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it, he is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the j Rose Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, Michael people? Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? Hope everybody's doing well, feeling fantastic, in excellent spirits. Just a few days away of closing out the month as we start the unofficial ending of summer. But that's not going to bum me out. No bad vibes or negativity here as we have a couple of podcasts before September arrives. Ten more episodes away from another milestone. Glad that you're a part of it. Thanks for stopping by to listen to all that's happening in the world of sports as this is the J Reels Podcast with your host J Reels. For my first timers, welcome aboard. And for those who have been banging with me going back to the very beginning, somewhere in the middle or even as early as this past Thursday, I welcome you guys and gals back. And as we get closer to September and knowing that the sports dead zone that we've talked about here, it seems like forever. We are coming out of it. And I get it, it's not right out of a cannon and nothing that we could really break out the band and march up and down the streets to say, all right, it's officially and finally over. But knowing that college football is here, U.S. Open for the tennis fan, but this is the final Grand Slam of the year. And with the NFL just 10 days, count them, 10 days away from officially beginning, I'm sure there are a lot of people that are getting ready to exhale to say, ah, now we could finally roll up our sleeves get into everything that's happening in sports with obviously baseball, which we'll talk about in a second, as far as getting into whatever pennant races that are left, although we do have a very interesting one 
in the AL West. And that's where I'm going to begin because if you've listened to the last two podcasts, going back to last Monday when I talked about the Mariners, and even Thursday when I unpacked what's happening there with the Texas Rangers, now it has come to a boil. It has come full steam ahead to the point where the Mariners, who a lot of people thought weren't going to be able to get out of their own way, a team that has pretty much been miring in mediocrity throughout the course of the season. And if you even go back to the All-Star break, they were hovering around 500. They had a great stretch where they won three out of four in Houston. And it was a scenario where maybe we thought that the Mariners would take off from there. But considering the way they played for the first three months of the year, you thought, eh, they're probably going to get a little run, but then they're going to fall back to their losing ways and they won't be able to get out of their own way in the process. And here they are, with the Rangers literally falling apart right in front of our eyes, having a tough start to their road trip where they lost 3 out of 4, and they've actually lost 11 of 12. Uh, Actually, they've lost 10 of 11 because they had an 8-game losing streak going into this weekend, and they were only able to get one win out of that in Minnesota. And yesterday, they had just bottomed out to the point where they had a 5-run lead. The Twins, we're talking about the Minnesota Twins here, world beaters, not in the least. And here they were coming from behind to win in 13 innings, 7-6. to six, And have the Mariners overtake the Rangers in the AL West with their win over the weekend. And they've beaten up some bad teams here. But that's who you're going to play down the stretch. Where the Mariners beat up on the Oakland A's. And they have the Kansas City Royals on deck next. So it looks like they'll be able to pad their division lead. And with the Rangers now in New York. No Max Scherzer. And real quick. Steve Cohen, please, no video tributes for Max Scherzer. Who knows if Jacob deGrom is on this trip? He deserves a video tribute. But now with the Rangers playing the Mets here over the next few days and the Mariners looking like they could really take off, not to say that there's going to be some any separation because you also have the Houston Astros you have to throw in the mix. But with that combination of Texas just falling apart here right in front of our eyes and the Mariners really cooking with gas, You wonder whether or not the Mariners, either they're going to peak here and then fall apart themselves because the sustainability of this type of stretch that they've had here generally doesn't last longer than, we'll say, a month. And right now, they played excellent baseball here for about six weeks. For them to get to this point, and granted that the Rangers played a big part in this, you also have to blame them for the Mariners coming all the way back. And if I had to take a guess, they were probably somewhere close to being 10 games out in the division, maybe as early as the All-Star break. Because remember, they were hovering around 500 that whole time, and the Rangers, who had been in first place all year, up until yesterday, and yes, they've been close where the Astros cut it to about a half a game. If you remember a few weeks back when the Astros and Rangers played, and the Astros took those first two games, and if they were able to sweep, they would have had a lead in the division, but as it was, they were able to win that final game, and I know the bench is cleared, and you had an incident there on the field. I believe Framber Valdez hit someone, and then next thing you know, the Rangers were chirping and barking back, but that was a game where if they would have lost, they would have got swept by the Astros, and they would have lost their first place lead, but as it was, they were able to hang on, and now, poof, it has gone up in smoke. So now the Rangers have a lot to answer to. Now, I would think they're going to make it into the postseason, but for a team that does not know their way around October, and even though their manager does know in a one Bruce Bochy, 
You'd have to wonder about the psyche of this team on whether or not losing first place, and granted there's still five weeks to go in the season, but you wonder whether or not there's some whispers or maybe even some doubt that has crept into that locker room wondering the combination of how Seattle's played and with the way the Rangers have just folded like a cheap suit here. Can they get back on the beam to make a September push, not only just to October, because we would expect that, but for them to win a division and have a first-round bye to where they could just set themselves up for the division series as opposed to playing in a wild card? So who would have thought that Seattle, as of last Monday, would get to this point where they're in first place and the Rangers just continue to falter? So that's the first story that I take away from the weekend with the AL West, and you also have to include Houston there because the Astros, like I said, they're just a game behind both the Rangers and the Mariners. In fact, when you look at the wild card real quick, the Rangers currently have the fifth seed where the Astros have the sixth seed. The Rangers, 73-57, and Astros, 74-58, and and then you have the Blue Jays after that, which we'll get into more of the wild card in a minute, but... That's what you have in the AL West where you know it is going to be a battle to the bitter end or at least we would think that. And when we look at the divisions, that's pretty much the juiciest race when it comes to who may be able to overtake who or who may be able to leapfrog one another as we get into September and to October 1st. Because as we all know, the AL West and the NL West, gone. The AL Central, gone. I understand the AL East could be interesting between Baltimore and Tampa as Tampa still continues to fight there. They're three in the loss, but two games back of Baltimore as we close out this month. My apologies, I said AL West and NL West. Well, we know the NL West is a foregone conclusion, but I wanted to refer to the NL East as being a division that has been long gone. As I just talked about here, this is what happens when your brain's going a thousand miles an hour. As I try to get myself together here, we know the AL West is going to be a rock fight to the very end, at least so we think. But the NL East and NL West is over. The NL Central, we would think that the Brewers will hold off both the Cubs and Reds for the division. The AL Central, we would think it's going to be a lock with the Twins, up six games on the Guardians. And then the AL East, as I mentioned, Baltimore-Tampa, That's going to be one you would think, tooth and nail to the very end. The other story that I want to discuss, and this will be brief, but who would have thought as the baseball season started almost five months ago to the day where not just one, but both New York teams would be so far gone from the postseason, but to the extent to where they're both cellar dwellers in the AL East and NL East, that being the New York Yankees and the New York Mets. If you were to put some shekels down that both teams would be where they are at this present moment and just had a, just whatever gut or feeling that you said, I don't think both teams are going to be good this year. I think they're going to be bad. I wouldn't be surprised they're in last place. And here you are in Vegas as drunk as a skunk and you said, ah, what the hell? And I'm sure your friends are looking at you like, please, no more drinks, no more smoke, no more whatever it is that you're taking because you might as well just throw your money in the garbage. Well, as of right this moment, you're looking like Nostradamus because who would have thought that both of these teams would just be in the predicaments that they are The Yankees, 62 and 68, they have not won a series. And I couldn't believe this when I read this. 
Can you believe that this team has not won a series since late June? We're talking now two months. They've had a lot of losses and a few ties along the way where they split whether two-game series against the Mets or four-game series against the Astros. And they have not been able to put together any type of streak other than a losing streak as we talked about last week where they had lost nine in a row. They were on the verge of losing 10 in a row, which would have happened for the first time in 110 years, but they were able to thwart that and beat the Nationals there last Wednesday before losing to them Thursday. And then even though winning the first game against Tampa and losing the back two, including yesterday where the bench is cleared and hits batsmen and Randy Rosarena and Albert Abreu and you had just a lot of tension and tempers flaring at that point between the Yankees and Rays but for the Rays to win that series and the Yankees now to go to Detroit where let's see if they could at least win a series against a bad team in the Tigers but who would have thought that the Yankees would be in that scenario and I would have never even have dreamt that in a zillion years as much as I would have enjoyed it but the Yankees have a lot to answer to even Brian Cashman early last week said that the organization is going to be under a microscope and of course I'm paraphrasing here pretty much what he has said that the season has been a disaster and that everything from top to bottom will be evaluated now it's funny you say that because he's the GM not the owner So you wonder whether or not Hal Steinbrenner, even though with his comments about a month ago, said that Cashman looks like he's going to be safe as for the manager. It's dubious at this point. And I would think Boone is going to be the fall guys I talked about, I believe, last week or the week before. But this has been just an unmitigated calamity when we see how the Yankees have performed here. And I understand they didn't have their MVP from June 3rd to about the latter part of July. But that talent, and I get it that they're old, and they've had a lot of injuries this year, and we've talked about this pretty much throughout the summer, but there is no way, shape, or form, even with the injuries and even with the age, that this team should be six games on the 500. That's all there is to it. And then on the other side of the Triborough Bridge, you have the Mets, and not much to really get into. As you know, I talked about them a lot, especially when the Mets made all those trades, including Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander. And not to go down that road, but there have been a couple of instances here where I've raised an eyebrow and heard some stories in reference to a one Pete Alonso on whether or not that the Mets may even look to trade him. There were rumors about him maybe going to Milwaukee, as we've talked about. They need offense in the worst way. But for whatever the reason, the Mets or even the Brewers, maybe they weren't ready to pull the trigger considering I'm sure the Mets were probably asking for a King's Ransom for the first baseman and all-star slugger. And then there have also been reports about Alonzo maybe being a little bit too big for his britches in the locker room. I don't know if it's an ego thing where his teammates maybe have disconnected from the polar bear as he's known around these parts. Now, who knows what story to believe? I know a lot of those stories haven't really been published. Yes, there have been some accounts But based on what I've been able to gather, it looks like things are maybe not peachy keen, but they certainly don't seem to be the way they are as far as it being down and dirty and maybe Alonzo being a guy that is a clubhouse lawyer and maybe taking it a step further where he's been too much of an ego and too much of a me guy that it's rubbed off on the players the wrong way. 
That we don't know. And who knows, maybe in the weeks to come, as we get to the end of the regular season and close out the season, maybe that will bubble to the surface. But I'm not going to believe that just yet. I would think that Alonzo, with the media, he's been great, says all the right things. Yes, maybe he can be a little bit over the top with his LFGM if the baseball fan, we know the Met fan knows what that means. You could just know that the F is an expletive between the let's go Mets. But for the organization on a whole, we know that this is just going to be playing out the rest of the season. 10 games on the 500. Who knows if they're even going to win 75 games. And this has just been one of the big disappointments I would say the worst team money can buy 2.0, although they didn't have the cast of characters of the team 30, 31 years ago. That 92 team with Bobby Bonilla and Brett Saberhagen, Vince Coleman, etc. But this has just been, if you're Steve Cohen, a season that you just want to flush and forget. But who knows? Maybe there'll be books about the season knowing that the $345 million payroll and all of the expectations to piggyback off of the 101 win season last year have just gone up in a heap of flames and there isn't any way to cut it but one thing I will say as we look ahead to next year between both of these organizations I would think and we don't know what's going to happen here obviously this is just a Monday morning quarterback and just fodder for the sports fan listening to this as to which team may be better off in 2024 But you would have to say the Mets because if Brian Cashman, if he's still around, is going to pull a couple of aces up his sleeve or a rabbit out of the hat, if he's going to trade Giancarlo Stanton, if he's going to trade, now he's got one year left on his deal, so maybe that wouldn't be the case, but a guy like Anthony Rizzo or even DJ LeMahieu, who still has, I believe, three more years after this year, if he's able to pull a David Copperfield and magic tricks that we have not seen when it comes to these big contracts. I mean, remember, Stanton has a no-trade clause. So chances are you're going to have to ship him to the West Coast, whether L.A. or Anaheim, and chances are it'll probably be more the Dodgers. But then why would they need him? Because they have bets playing right field, unless you're going to have him as a full-time DH, paying him, what, $35 million a year? But for those big-time contracts... And even though some money comes off the books next year, and who knows if they're going to resign Gleyber Torres, I wouldn't if I'm Brian Cashman. But they may have to only because he's young and he is a good player, but not the player that a lot of people thought he was going to be after those first couple of years when he came up through the system after the trade with the Cubs for Aroldis Chapman. But unless they unload those contracts or going to add payroll, which we don't see happening, or they may fluctuate a little bit and go a little bit over, which I'm sure they already are when it comes to the luxury tax. But until you unload those contracts, this Yankee team is pretty much going to be the same going into next year. Why would it be different? And that's the thing. They are sidled with these albatross of contracts that if you're Brian Cashman... Maybe it's time for you to step away. Now, I understand they just resigned him, so it's not as if he's going to walk away from however much he's making here over the next few years. But this Yankee team, not to say they're going to be a last place team or a team that's not going to compete, but they're not going to be World Series contenders, at least from what I see right this very moment. Now, if they are able to trade Stanton, let's say to the West Coast, to the Giants, maybe he goes to San Francisco, and this is just me projecting. This is nothing about rumors. This isn't anything about 
inside information that I have? Uh Uh-uh. I'm just talking about it from the mind of not only a sports fan, but just analyzing it from a standpoint of how can the Yankees get better? And unless they're going to trade DJ LeMahieu, the the guys I just mentioned, how's this team going to improve? And Carlos Rodon, who I know had a decent start there, but you still have to wonder with four more years and his body being brittle and what kind of production you're going to get from him. Cole, you know you're going to be fine. He's had a Cy Young award-winning season, and I would think he's going to be the front-runner to win that this year. But other than that, you got nothing. Whereas with the Mets, now they got to pay Pete Alonso. He's going into his walk year next year, and that's going to be a big question mark for the organization. And who knows with all these rumors and scuttlebutt about what I mentioned regarding Alonzo in the locker room, who knows? Could he be trade bait? Could he be a guy that the Mets would avoid paying, just for argument's sake, eight years and $240 million? Now, I know that sounds a lot, but that's $30 million a year. But that's going to be the going rate for a corner position that has a lot of production, although his batting average is down. But put Alonzo aside for now, the only big contracts that you have are Lindor, you still have Marte for two more years and he's had a nightmare of a year with all the injuries, etc. And I get it that you still have Scherzer and Verlander on the books, but it's only for another year or two. So it's not as if Steve Cohen, that's chump change for him, number one. And number two, it's not as if these contracts are on the books for the next four or five years. And believe it or not, Robinson Cano, remember him? I believe he's off the books after this year, which I'm sure they already bought him out. What was it? $40 million, whatever it is, but I'm sure it counts towards this year's luxury tax. So when we look at the team, yes, they gave $50 million to McNeil. Yes, they gave Marte, we talked about. Lindor is the biggest contract that they have going. Senga, I know five years, $75 million. But hey, that you could live with. Four more years with him. And he's had a good year. I know he's been inconsistent and walks a lot of people. But he's a guy that you want to have in the mix as a two, maybe even a three starter. And yes, you do have Diaz, who's getting paid a fortune. He has, what, four more years after this year, $20 million a year, but hopefully he comes back to anything close to what we saw there last year. But the Mets still have some flexibility there. So I would think that their chances, and even though they're not going to go all in and spend like drunken sailors, but I would think that the Mets have a better outlook going into next year than the Yankees do. That's my point. But one last time, who would have thought that both of these teams as of August 28th would be in last place. And I believe the first time since 1992. That's how far back you have to go to when both the Mets and Yankees were in the basement in their respective divisions. Now, as far as what else is going on here, well, before I get to what's happening in in baseball, quickly with Steven Strasburg, I know he retired the other day and it was expected. You figured that day was going to come much sooner than later. But it's certainly... A career that was cut short and very unfortunate for him to have to retire. Now, good for him that he was able to A, win a World Series and in the process win a World Series MVP because here's a guy that came out of San Diego State, fireballer, 100 miles an hour, imposing figure on the mound, was the first round pick in the 2009 draft, brought up the next year where in his first start he struck out 14 Pittsburgh Pirates and it looked like he was going to be on his way but then had Tommy John surgery, the controversy in 2012 when he came back and had that innings limit where they didn't want to pitch him there in the postseason, especially during that stretch where they melted down against the Cardinals in the division series. If you recall, they were afraid to even put him in at that point 
because they wanted to monitor his arm and his progress, process, etc. And as we saw in the years after that, was a very good starter, made it to all-star teams, had a big year there in the 2019 season. What was he? I believe 18 and 6 was in the running for the Cy Young Award and then had the World Series accolades, winning two games there as the Nationals won their World Series over the Astros in seven games, the one World Series where all the road teams won those games, as strange as that may sound. But for Strasburg, who had not only the Tommy John, but thoracic outlet syndrome, which is what Matt Harvey had years ago, if you recall, Met fans. And it was just going to be a long, arduous road to recovery. He did make a couple of starts along the way. I believe he had four starts total from the time he signed that contract at the end of the 2019 season until his retirement. Including last June where he pitched against the Marlins, I believe four and a third, and he gave up a bunch of runs to the Marlins and a loss. And from that point on, was never to be heard from again. And it's just a shame because you want to see guys who are special, a top overall pick like he was, and the talent, and the repertoire that he had, live fastball, curve, he had all the tools. And it's just unfortunate that he was unable to stay healthy, to have a career that could have possibly been a Hall of Fame-worthy career. And unfortunately, he has to go off into the sunset, not on his own terms, but his body said, "Uh uh-uh, we just can't do it anymore. So, congratulations to a, I understand, an underwhelming career and a once-promising career that was cut short by injury, but one more time, he does have a couple of things to look at, at least when he thinks back in retrospect on his career. He could take a look at one of his fingers, whether it's his ring finger, index, etc., to know that he not only did win a World Series, but also has a World Series MVP on his fireplace mantle. Now, a couple of things from the weekend. First off, Mookie Betts made his return to Boston for the first time since he was traded back at the end of the 2019 season, had a raucous ovation, which was expected. We know Mookie Betts was a guy that, let's face it, he should have stayed in Boston. I don't know what happened there with the ownership. They probably looked at Mookie Betts as a guy that, yes, he is a superstar player, did win us the World Series, but we're not forking over $360 million or however much the cost was going to be. I know it was rumored for him to maybe even look at $400 million, but even then, it seemed as if he wanted out of Boston. Maybe there was a little bit of disrespect from the ownership to the player at the time. Of course, he was thankful, Mookie Betts, in his return, not only for the ovation, but also deflected on whether or not he could have resigned there by saying, well, you have to ask the ownership, which could be maybe the reason why there was a disconnect or discord between Betts and the organization. I don't know if he's just trying to take the high road or maybe he is trying to pin it on them to say well hey you need to talk to them as far as what went down during those negotiations but you knew that Betts wasn't going to come back and that was just a sad state of affairs for the Red Sox fan and as you saw there on Friday night got the big ovation and even hit a home run there yesterday as the Dodgers won two out of three in Fenway and the Red Sox now are teetering a little bit to whether or not they'll still be a part of this AL wildcard race as they're now four games behind the Houston Astros for the last wildcard spot in the AL. So you have that. And then even bigger news is the Orioles and their closer, Felix Bautista, 
who had to leave the game the other day with an arm injury and it's been diagnosed as a UCL injury where he's on the IL for 15 days. Now, who knows? Is it just rest? Is it a strain? I don't know what the latest report has been, if he has gotten an MRI and whether or not there is a tear, partial tear, full tear, who knows? But this would be a big blow. Now, they have a very good bullpen and I'm sure they'll move up their guy, Cano, who is their eighth inning reliever. They'll probably move him up to the closer position, but for... The Orioles and all of their success here this year and a fight in the division with the Rays, having their closer go down at this juncture, knowing that you're not going to see him for a couple of weeks, young team, young manager, that has to be a bit of a blow to the psyche, not knowing whether or not the guy who's been your horse all year long and could be, quite possibly, a Cy Young Award finalist, not going to be around maybe for the whole month of September and beyond. To me, that's going to be tough sailing for the Orioles and see how they recover from that is going to be all on the manager, obviously the players as well, but we'll certainly keep our fingers on the pulse when it comes to that story down in Baltimore. But other than that, we talked about the divisions, we talked about what's going on with these races, and now to quickly recap, especially in the National League, because we know what's going on in the American League, we understand also the Blue Jays, I talked about the Red Sox how they're four games back in the loss, but four and a half behind the Astros for that last playoff spot in the wild card. But then Toronto's sandwiched in between. The Blue Jays are two games in the loss and two and a half back of the Astros as currently constituted. And the Blue Jays this weekend lost two out of three to the Guardians. So that wasn't good for them as they try to make up some ground here and just stay relevant in this race. And then in the National League, we know the Phillies, they're going to be in good standing. We would think they're going to have the four seed in the NL wildcard picture. Follow that by the Cubs and the Diamondbacks. Give it up for them as they won 12 of the last 15. And they had a big weekend as they won 3 out of 4 against the Reds. Where the Reds, although with the 3 out of 4 loss to the Diamondbacks. They're 2 in the loss and a game and a half behind Arizona for the last playoff spot in the National League. The Giants, who have not played well here, they've been scuffling a bit, but they're still hanging around a game in the loss and a game and a half back. And then the Marlins, who have not played well at all, they won yesterday, but they certainly had to fight to the very end to win 2-1 to yesterday after the Nationals went in there to win the first two games. And I will say this about the Nationals real quick. Give it up to them. They won 2 out of 3 at Yankee Stadium, 2 out of 3 in Miami. And I talked about this earlier in the year, maybe even before that, where in the latter part of this decade, that team is going to be a force. I picked them, and I'll talk about this next Monday as we get to Labor Day. They were one of my unders this year at 59.5. That's right, I picked them as an under. Because I thought with them just starting over and the trades that they made over the years, whether it was... Max Scherzer getting sent to LA and the prospects that they got back there or Juan Soto to San Diego and the ton of prospects that they also got back from that deal that they were going to start from scratch, start over and they had enough to even bring back David Martinez to extend him, the manager of the team and have him go through this really says a lot about the ownership and about the direction that they're going that right now They have 61 wins. And they're probably going to win, off the top of my head, they could go probably as high as 75. And it's a team that was projected to win 59. So kudos to the Nationals as I close out the baseball segment. But that's what we have there. 
And quickly with the schedule this week, let's see what we got before we move on to other things. Schedule, we talked about the Rangers coming to New York. And again, no video tributes from Max Scherzer one last time. Steve Cohen, that's to you. You have the Astros going to Boston, and they just played last week where the Red Sox were able to get the back two of that series because the Astros won the first two of that four-game set. So now Houston will go to Fenway as they reconvene in Beantown. Let's see. Not a sexy schedule. Oh, you have the Brewers and Cubs. That's a big series there. The Brewers have a four-game lead in the division. So the Cubs, let's see. Is that a four-gamer? I'll have to take a look at that. That's going to be a big series to look ahead to. Cincinnati at San Francisco. That's a big series. Arizona at LA, not for the division, but we have Arizona in the mix, as we know. But Reds, Giants, big series there with wild card implications abound. And then you have Milwaukee and Chicago. Let's see. That is in Wrigley Field. Let me just double check here if that is a four-gamer. And something tells me I believe it is. So if the Cubs want to run the table here over the course of the next few days, they could certainly do so by... No, it's only a three-gamer. At home, will they get inch closer? And to me, I would think two out of three would be nice. But if you're the Cubs, and if you really want to contend in the NL Central, you have to sweep the series. And let's see if they play Milwaukee again down there. Yes, they do. The final three games in Milwaukee. So it is a big series. Let's see what they could do. And the Cubs, yeah, they have a real tough schedule. Look at this. They still have to play Arizona seven times. They go... They play San Francisco at home. They have four in Cincinnati after this series against the Brewers. And then before their final series of the year in Milwaukee, they got to go to Atlanta. Now, Atlanta, you would think they're going to be done. The division is going to be wrapped up and they're going to align their pitching for the division series. But those still aren't going to be easy games by any stretch. They do have Pittsburgh and Colorado sandwiched in between. But a lot of Arizona, a lot of Milwaukee, some San Francisco and Atlanta Sprinkled in between as well as four in Cincinnati. So tough stretch. And this is a big three-game series for the Cubbies as we get closer to the end of the month. And hopefully we have a hot and contested September for these pennant races in baseball. All right, now let me turn my attention to the gridiron as I put on my helmet and shoulder pads for both the NFL and college football. This will be a tag team as we move it along here. I'll start off with the NFL where we had a trade there on Thursday night, I believe, into Friday, where the experiment of a one Trey Lance has gone out the door. Sending him packing to Dallas, their longtime rival, for a fourth round pick. And if you saw the photo there in the middle of last week, and who knows when that was taken, but to me, that photo spoke a million words, let alone a thousand to where you saw both Brock Purdy and Sam Darnold sitting next to one another, huddling up, looking at a, I think it was an iPad or just a, maybe a scouting report. And then off to the side was Trey Lance with a long face. And who knows, maybe his body language said it all. Who knows, he probably thought that he was going to be the odd man out. But for everybody who thought that Trey Lance was going to be the guy in Kyle Shanahan's system, and who knows, is he 100% healthy with that ankle? Is he just fragile with his psyche, knowing that he was a raw talent coming out of college and certainly has not been able to cut the mustard to even stick with the Niner team that drafted him third overall? What was it, three years ago? And now he's going to have to resurrect 
or even resuscitate his career in Dallas where we know Dak Prescott is getting paid, what, $40 million a year? And unless he gets hurt, he's going to be the guy that's going to step in? Who knows where this odyssey is going to lead, Trey Lance? And it's a shame because you want to see guys who are drafted high, raw or not, do well in the league. But there are countless quarterbacks that we could go down the list just in recent memory. Whether your name is Josh Rosen, let's start there. Or to even a certain extent, Baker Mayfield. The guy was number one overall, and yeah, he's had his moments. And yes, he did take a Brown team to the postseason one year, did beat the Steelers, although they had a 28-0 lead thanks to a bunch of turnovers. But he did have some, some success in Cleveland, but still far from a number one overall pick as far as production goes when you look at some of the other number one picks of years past and yes we could talk about Jamarcus Russell I get that and there are countless other quarterbacks that certainly were unable to live up to any hype or potential that they had at that spot but there are a lot of quarterbacks that do not play well even Sam Darnold the guy that was his teammate for about two months there in San Francisco he was drafted third overall by the Jets and he's on his third team So for Lance, who knows where his career is going to go, whether or not it's going to be with the Cowboys. You would think maybe that's just a landing spot for him to learn and to grow and be in that system. But I'm sure there's going to be a lot of sitting around and a lot of clipboard and with the earpiece, who knows. And not to say that I'm a Trey Lance guy or a Trey Lance fan. I know I'm coming across like his biggest supporter, but I am, why would I even think about Trey Lance, I only bring him up because he's been in the news and he got traded and all of the just pomp and circumstance surrounding that pick and as much of a reach as it was at the time, but Kyle Shanahan, as we know, the offensive mastermind, if he was unable to get Trey Lance on board or on track, then maybe that says something about Trey Lance. So who knows? We will see where his career will go and unless that gets hurt, we probably won't see Trey Lance under center at any time soon. So that's my NFL news and notes. We understand that the preseason's finally over. We can look forward to the regular season, which is 10 days from today, as I mentioned earlier, and two weeks from yesterday when the season will begin in earnest. And I understand you've had some small moves here. I know the Steelers traded a, an offensive lineman to the Rams because there's been a battle there for positioning when it comes to the O-line as the Steelers, that's going to be a huge focal point for their season upcoming, especially with the quarterback, just keeping him upright, as well as Najee Harris to have a big year on the ground. But we'll talk more about the NFL next week. We'll have a preview, still working behind the scenes, get a guest on here, maybe Gary Myers. So let's see, keep your fingers crossed on that front. And then as far as the college game goes, I'll talk more about college on Thursday, do a little bit of a preview, although it's going to be very predictable, people, because... We would think, or at least know, who the top four teams may come out at the end of November into December as the representative for the college football playoff this year. And as it is, Georgia, of course, is your consensus number one, as we know. No shock there, but can they three-peat? That's going to be the big question going into this upcoming season, and we'll talk about that more on Thursday, but the Fighting Irish, who went overseas to Dublin to play their first game against Navy, and they took them to the back of the Blarney Stone and beat them to a pulp, 42-3. No surprise there, as the Fighting Irish were able to take care of the midshipmen, as now college football is part of our consciousness, if you can believe that. So, 
Let's look forward to the football. Make sure to get yourself ready. I'm sure everybody is ready, but I'll have a little bit of a college preview there. Come this Thursday as we get set to close out this sports dead zone here in the coming days. Now I'm going to turn my attention to the hardwood as I lace up my high tops because the one story that took place late last week that was on the cover of the sports section of the New York Times was Giannis Antetokounmpo. We all know that Giannis, a guy that is not your typical superstar, he's a guy that's very selfless, a guy that is very humble, a guy that, yes, you do see him on the T-Mobile commercials and a couple of other I'm sure advertisements out there. JBL is one that I've seen there on the Madison Avenue store in years past here in New York City. But for Giannis, he's very unassuming. He's a very likable superstar. He is the anti-player empowerment type of superstar where they want to broker their own deal out or if they're unhappy or want to get out of a situation that, uh uh-uh, I don't want to be here anymore. They're going to pout. They're going to bitch, moan, scream, cry, (laughs) James Harden. And go on to greener pastures. But for Giannis, in this article that I believe was written by Tyler Kepner, him saying that if the front office is not going to put together a championship caliber team around me, and yes, they did bring back Brooke Lopez as well as Chris Middleton, but that is just for the next couple of years. It's for the sustainable future that Giannis is looking at because he is eligible for an extension as of next month, I believe September 22nd, where he could get three years and $173 million during that extension. Could you wrap your head around that, people? Now, remember, Anthony Davis got a similar extension with the Lakers, three for, I believe, it was 168 off the top of my head. So for Giannis, if he's going to stick around, and he still has two more years left on his current Supermax deal, which he signed, I believe, right after... They won the championship, 5 for 228, or maybe it was right before. I may have my years mixed up. But if the front office is not going to push all their chips to the middle of the table and try to procure talent that's going to surround Giannis on a year-in, year-out basis to win titles, then there is a likelihood that he's not going to sign that three-year extension and play out the current one and look for those greener pastures. And you know what? He has every right to do that. It's not about the money, at least in this case, because if that was it, he would sign three years at $173 million and then they'll be competitive, but they're not going to be competitive to win a title if they don't have the surrounding pieces with your two-time former MVP. And you know what? I'm in Giannis's camp as far as that goes. And again, not breaking out the Giannis pom-poms, but he's a guy that you, how could you not like him, A, B, We get it that he is the Milwaukee Bucks, that they will do whatever it takes to put forth a championship-worthy team year after year. And he's saying this now. He's not saying this five minutes before he becomes a free agent or he's not poo-pooing it. And that's not to say he has one foot out the door, but he has thrown down the gauntlet to the Buck brass to say, hey, let's put forth the next four, five, six years especially while he's still young. I believe he's going to be 29 this year, maybe even 30 for all I know. But he's still at the peak of his powers. You still have a very good window to win another championship or two with Giannis in the fold. Let's go for it. That's what he's telling the front office. And if they do not get the wax out of their ears or if they're just going to say, oh, don't worry, we got this. We'll make sure that Giannis is going to be a buck for life and we're going to have 
the pieces in place for titles, hopefully for years to come, if they're going to be nonchalant or negligent about it, then guess what? Giannis is going to find another destination. And I'm sure that's not what he wants to do. He's even stated that he wants to be like Kobe Bryant or Dirk Nowitzki to be on one team for his whole career. And that's the thing you love about a player like Giannis. Because the just him being genuine and a guy that is going to speak from his heart, that he's not going to take the high road or not going to, well, I don't know, we got to see what happens, oh, it's up to them, blah, blah, blah. The usual mumbo-jumbo that we hear from players. And then take the reverse course to where he may say, a la Kyrie, well, if you want me back, I'll stay, but then the next year he's gone. Giannis has put it out there. And I'm sure he's going to face a lot of that firestorm from the media, not the same in Milwaukee's New York or LA, etc. But I'm sure the NBA media is going to say, hey, any talks between the front office and you guys as far as keeping not only this team intact, but bringing in more players or better players, younger players, etc. And that's going to be the focal point. And people could say, oh, he's made it about himself. Well, he's just forecasting and looking ahead. And I have to agree with him. Because it's refreshing to know that he's saying, I want to win people. I can't put it out there and say it better than that. And if you're going to rebuild or if you're going to just start all over from the ground up, I don't want to be a part of it. And you know what? He has a right to say that. Because he's not the type of player to say that. And he's given the organization two years in advance to go ahead and do what it takes to put that team on the floor to be a title contender for the years to come. And who knows? You also have a new coach there with Adrian Griffin. There's no Mike Budenholzer. You also have to think about that. Who knows the type of relationship. And we would think Giannis, he's going to want to be coached from Griffin. He's going to want to be pushed, etc. He's not that guy to just turn the other cheek. At least we don't think. And just based on just the track record and what we've seen, I don't think that's going to be Giannis's MO. But... With a new coach, new system, new everything. It's going to be interesting to see how that story unfolds here over the course of the next two years. And a couple more things here before I bid adieu. The first one being the U.S. Open played on the other side of the bridge from where I live. Being Flushing Meadow where it kicks off today. The final Grand Slam of the tennis year. And we all know that the storyline going in is going to be hopefully a round two in the final between Novak Djokovic and Carlos Alcaraz. They did meet a week ago yesterday in the Cincinnati tournament, which was epic. They only played three sets, but it was back and forth, riveting, compelling, just drama between the two behemoths of the sport. But we all know that's Cincinnati. For the average tennis fan, they may know about the tournament, but for the average sports fan, they're like, what? Cincinnati? Who? The Reds? Bengals? What? They're not going to know. But let's see if they could have another go at it. Now, remember, they did meet up in the French Open, but that was in the semifinal. And that went to Djokovic. So I understand this would be a round three, but this is a round two when it comes to winning the whole thing. Let's see if both guys could once again reconnect there on the final Sunday, which would be two weeks from yesterday, the opening of the NFL season. And that's going to be your main storyline there for the men's. Who knows what's going to happen with guys like Yannick Sinner or Stefano Tsitsipas or guys like Andre Rublev, Alexander Zverev, 
of course Daniel Medvedev who won the US Open two years ago those guys yeah they'll be in the mix and those guys will probably be around Francis Tiafo had a very good US Open last year and pushed Carlos Alcaraz to the brink so there are some storylines there with the men but everybody just wants to cut to the chase to say are we going to have a rematch between Alcaraz and Djokovic when it's all said and done could any of those other guys the aforementioned even uh, Onaruna that's another one that you have to throw in there as far as a guy that could maybe be a threat Taylor Fritz can he do something there especially on the men's side here come stateside who knows but any one of them could have a good day any one of them could pull off an upset but I would think when it's all said and done we know one of the two are going to make it to the final but I would think we'll see both of them there in a rematch of the Wimbledon final and of course the French Open semi to see who's going to come out on top there at the US Open and on the women's side to me other than Iga Swiatek who I get it stubbed her toe in Wimbledon and let's see if she could fire up the engine to have a deep run here at the US Open and as we've seen here she does well at the French she's won three of those but for whatever the reason whether it's Wimbledon or even the US Open she has not been able to get over the hump so we'll see what's going to take place with the women's side but that's also I'm not going to say a toss-up because we know the favorites whether it's her Elena Rybakina Arena Sabalenka Anne Jabour who knows about Coco Goff who did not play well at Wimbledon let's see if she could have a deep run as far as the US Open Madison Keys, Jessica Pagula those are the mainstays as we know when it comes to the upper echelon of the women's side but I would think Swiatek I would even look at Sabalenka you know Rabakina uh, these are all stout opponents for whatever the reason Anjabur who has not played well this year in comparison to last year but I would think Jabour would be someone that could be there at the very end and be on top so not to say I'm going to pick her to win because it is wide open I know Swiatek is the number one women's player in the world but she hasn't really proven herself outside of the French and I believe she did win the Australian too so it's not as if she cannot play on a hard surface but you still have to wonder whether or not she's going to be the dominant figure that we've seen on the women's side here throughout the course of the last couple of years for her to carry forward and into next week and be one of the last two standing to see if she could come out on top what is it a week from this coming Saturday in the women's final to win a U.S. Open so I would think Swiatek just by default but maybe Jabor this will be her time I know you've had a lot of just various winners over the years when it comes to the U.S. Open just two years ago everybody thought that Emma Raducanu was going to be not saying she was going to be the future of women's tennis but at the age of 18 winning her first Grand Slam that maybe there's plenty more ahead and since then she has not been heard from in fact there's been a lot of rumors about her with her team maybe getting to her head and coaching and things of that nature but the U.S. Open has been up and down here over the years as far as who's been consistent who's been able to come out on top you haven't had that dominant figure in women's tennis a la Serena of years past so I think it's a lot more wide open than the men's but I'm going to see if Jabour if she's going to be the one that's going to come out on top but obviously all the others that I mentioned and who who knows there may be someone in the waiting in the weeds that could come out of nowhere as we saw here just at Wimbledon 
when Marketa Vondrusova won her first ever Grand Slam and I don't even believe she was ranked. So who knows if we can have a story coming out of Flushing Meadow here over the next week or two where an unknown is just going to thrust themselves into a position where they reach a quarterfinal or a semifinal or even final for that matter. So that's the beauty of tennis in this regard for those who do follow and for the diehard out there or even for the good tennis fan. But I understand if you're not, you're probably saying, Jay Reels, just get to the next sport. But this is why I cover all the sports, people. I make sure on top of all of it. And lastly, I'll talk about the NHL as you have a note there. Let me get to that right now. A couple of signings. Nothing really earth-shattering. I know the Tampa Bay Lightning re-signed Brandon Hagel. They got him in a trade from the Blackhawks a couple of years ago and is about to have his first Full go at it here where he signed eight years, $52 million. Career high, 64 points last year. I don't know if he's worth that much. I haven't watched or followed his career that closely, but they felt he was worthy of that type of money. 28 years of age, so I get it. He's in the prime, but let's see if Hagel could duplicate what he did last year with that career high, 64 points that would parlay into the big payday that he got there with the Lightning. And then the Rangers also... Signed for two years, Alexis Lafreniere. Now remember, he's a guy that was number one overall in the COVID year. I believe 2020 was when he was drafted. And there was a lot expected of a guy who had put up some very good numbers in junior. A guy that could be a generational player. And I understand he hasn't even come close to his prime. In fact, he's going to be 22 in October. So sometimes, guys, it could take a little bit for them to get their sea legs and to get accustomed to the NHL, etc. I understand that everybody could be Sidney Crosby or Alex Ovechkin or even Connor McDavid. And we're going to get to see that with Connor Bedard of the Blackhawks as a guy that could be that next generational player. But Lafreniere, who a lot of people thought could be that guy, a face of the league, and especially playing in New York for the Broadway Blue Shirts, He is certainly underachieved. Now, again, I know he hasn't even come close to hitting his peak or hitting his prime. But he has certainly not been a number one overall when it comes to his production. And this will be a big year. And I get it. He got his extension, two years, not a ton of money. But if he's going to get that big money, even a guy like Brandon Hagel, I get it. 28 years old, he got his money. But last I checked, Brandon Hagel wasn't a guy that was coming out of junior or college as a guy that was going to light the NHL on fire. Well, Lafreniere, there was a lot more promise and a lot more expected, and obviously, he has fallen short of that. So, we will see as the Rangers inked him for a couple of years, and it's going to be a big year and a big two years to see whether or not he's going to be that type of player, if not generational, and if not an all-star, but a superstar force that the league is going to have to put on notice and take notice to whenever he steps on the ice to be that player That's going to be impactful for the Rangers here in the years to come. So that's what we got there as the NHL will be coming sooner than you think. I believe training camp opens the middle of September. I'll get a date for you once we get to the next podcast there on Thursday. But yes, we are starting to turn that corner. We are starting to make a little headway as we could finally say goodbye to what was a slog of a summer when it comes to sports. But that's all right. I'm not going anywhere, as you well know, for even the first-timer who's listening to me 
in its maiden voyage. Yes, I'm not going anywhere. And I thank you for stopping by as well as the newbie, first timer, old timer, my day ones. As always, another podcast in the books. Thank you so much for stopping by, carving out a few precious moments out of your day to listen to what it is I have to say about what goes on in the world of sports. If you haven't done so, please subscribe, rate, review, throw me a few stars, write a review. I'd greatly appreciate it on wherever you get your podcasts. Also, question, comment, suggestion, hit me up on any of my socials. My YouTube channel, at JReels, definitely go there for daily shorts and vlogs. By the week, I just put up a vlog that last week, last Sunday, but my intention is to put up a vlog every week in which I'll do so not only with what's happening in sports, but maybe even a little personal. I'll sprinkle in some of that about yours truly, about my podcast journey, etc., just to kind of inform everybody who is not familiar with me just to get a better feel and understanding of who I am and why is it what I do and why I do what I do, etc. when it comes to this podcast. So you definitely want to tune in on my YouTube channel, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, the J Reels Podcast, Twitter, J Reels One, just a number, in the old-fashioned way, the J Reels Podcast at gmail.com for one more time, questions, comments, suggestions. I'll be more than happy to follow up with you guys and gals because whether you do or do not know, This is what I love to do, people. It's in the blood. It's in the DNA. As I like to say, talking sports, pretty much it's birth. Getting into anything and everything with passion, fire, fury, energy, with what happens on the diamond, ice, gridiron, hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, boxing ring, octagon, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx to Southeast to South Central to South Pacific and all points beyond. Peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J Reels Podcast, on the flip, baby. <laughs>